Thank you for listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This episode is a sermon preached by Reverend Marvin Lindsay titled Bread, Circuses, and Power. It's about the devil's temptation of Jesus in the desert, as recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We hope you enjoy it. A wilderness is an uncultivated and uncivilized land. People rule the roost on farms and in cities, but in wilderness regions, that is still the domain of Mother Nature. That's what wilderness is in geographical terms, but in terms of salvation history, the wilderness is that vast desert between the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, where God led the Israelite people for 40 years. God led them through that desert waste in order to test them, to find out what was in their heart and where their true loyalties really lay. Now God has led Jesus into a wilderness to see what is in his heart, to see what he is made of, and to see if this union of divinity and humanity can withstand the most trying and most tempting circumstances that this world has to offer. Wildernesses are lonely places, but curiously, Jesus has a companion with him on his wilderness journey. Matthew calls him the tempter. Shakespeare and John Milton called him the Prince of Darkness. Goethe called him Mephistopheles. Uh, and in parts of colonial America, he was known as Old Scratch. You know, when um, Mick Jagger says, Please meet you, uh, hope you guess my name. I don't know how we would guess his name. I mean, he's got, he goes by so many different names. Uh, but behind the man or the person of many names is someone who tests Jesus to the limit, even more than the inhospitable terrain is able to test Jesus in this situation. Jesus' companion of many names has, well, he's got three propositions for Jesus to consider. The first two in the translation that is in your bulletin begin with the word if. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Or if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. It's as if this tempter wants to know who this person is before him. Is he really the Son of God or not? But here's the thing. In the Gospels, it's always human beings who are uncertain about Jesus' identity. And human beings are always asking for Jesus to perform a sign or do something to prove that he is God's chosen one. The demons, on the other hand, well, they just kind of start shrieking whenever Jesus shows up in town. They know exactly who he is. And in fact, some New Testament scholars say this word is better translated since. Since you are the Son of God, command these sons to turn into loaves of bread. Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. The tempter presents himself to Jesus as someone who wants to advise him on how he can use his divine power, on how he can ex- uh, execute his authority as the Son of God. I, you know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I just, I just, I'm here as kind of the power behind the throne. You know, that's how he presents himself. Just someone with sage, wise advice for Jesus' ministry among us. We can call options one and two that the tempter presents as the bread and circuses option. So let me talk a little bit about each. 
Since you're the Son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. You are the King of Kings, and you deserve a meal fit for a king. There's no need for you to go hungry. You can turn these boulders into a bakery. All you have to do is say the word. But Jesus won't take his would-be counselor's advice. Even though he is divinity and humanity in one person, even though his flesh and blood is united inseparably to the word of God, Jesus still has a hunger for more of God's word. And Jesus seems to be aware that we human beings, if our bodies are sated and comfortable and have more than enough of material blessings, that that can sometimes dull our taste for heavenly blessings and for spiritual bread, for the bread of life. So he decides not to cut his fast off prematurely. He is still hungry for more and more of God's work. And he wants us to know that we creatures of body and soul need a balanced diet in order to live and to thrive. We need bread for our tummies, yes, but just as much we need the bread of life. So the second option is this. Jesus and his old friends suddenly find themselves on the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down, he says. For the the Psalms say God will command the angels concerning you. And God will cause them to bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That's a quote from Psalm 91. How about that? The devil reads the Bible. Who would have thunk it? I guess he finds it to be an interesting book. Um, And in fact, in another place in the Old Testament, one of the prophets foretells a time when the Lord will suddenly appear in God's temple. And the Lord will purify the temple and its priests and its worshipers. The tempter wants Jesus to fulfill this prophecy in an unforgettable way. Like the Golden Knights parachuting into Lincoln Financial Stadium before the Army-Navy game. Or like that Cirque du Soleil performance that maybe you saw when you were at Disney World or in Las Vegas. Do that and the crowd, you'll have them eating out of your hand. But Jesus also reads the Bible. And he quotes back to the tempter, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus trusts that God will protect him. But he's not going to bank on God's protection by recklessly living in a way that demands God's protection. Especially not not for something as fleeting as fame and popularity and the adoration of the crowds. Finally, the tempter makes an offer that Jesus just can't refuse, right? And and here's where the mass drops. All the power and glory of every kingdom and throne in the world, I would give to you if you only fall down and worship me. The ancient enemy of the Son of God still wants to rule. He wants a little bit more than to just be an advisor to the King of Kings. And here we have to give the devil his due. Think about all the good that you and I could do if all of the presidents and prime ministers and dictators and strongmen and warlords of the world answered to us. Why, I would get the Russians out of Ukraine. I would negotiate peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. I would peacefully reunify the Korean Peninsula. There is no end 
to the good that I would do. I would use the ring for good, said Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Only when the devil makes you an offer, you have to think about the fine print. And you have to think about whether the devil can really deliver the goods. You know, another one of the names for uh, the enemy is father of lies. And it may be that in this case, uh, the devil is writing with his mouth checks that his pointy little tail can't cash, so to speak. Earthly authorities said John Calvin, the theological father of the Presbyterian tradition, earthly authorities are established by God. They can be tempted by the devil. They can sin and go astray uh, like anything else, like we as individuals can. But they're established by God and they aren't the devil's to dispose of or to hand out. In the end, they will answer to God. But Jesus has an even deeper reason for saying no to the devil than doubting uh, the fine print or doubting that the devil can come through. Jesus quotes again from the scriptures, Worship the Lord your God. God alone you shall serve. In Milton's Paradise Lost, Satan famously says, Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Though it seems from this story he never really got over his desire to reign every place. Jesus, on the other hand, is content to serve. He's content to be a servant. He doesn't need to lord it over anybody. And in fact, service is his mode of authority. And he establishes his ultimate authority over us by making the ultimate act of service and sacrifice for us. That awaits us at the end of this Lenten journey. As we come face to face with the cross that Jesus was enthroned upon. The cross that is the sacrifice that reconciles us to God. It frees us from cruel tyrants like sin and the devil and death. And it makes us subjects of God's realm of justice and love and peace. Jesus rebuffs the tempter's three offers with three quotes of scripture that all come from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Now I want to tell you a little bit about Deuteronomy. It's purported to be... Moses' farewell speech to the Israelite people as they are getting ready to leave the wilderness and enter into the promised land. Jesus learned in 40 days, apparently, what it took his ancestors 40 years to learn in the desert. These three quotes show us that Jesus privileges these three ideas. First, we are creatures of body and soul. And as such, we need a diet of bread and the word of God in order to grow and live and thrive. The second thing is this. We're called to trust in God's provision. Even in lean times, even in times of scarcity, we are called to trust in God's ability to provide without provoking divine intervention with reckless or attention-seeking behavior. And third, we are not masters of our own faith or captains of our own soul. The real question is not, will we rule or will we serve? The real question is, whom shall we serve? We are servants of a serving sovereign when we are in Christ. So that's the story 
and a little bit about the setting and the characters and the interactions. I want to turn now, as we begin to wind up this sermon, to our contemporary situation and maybe how this scripture passage can inform where we find ourselves in the life of the church at this present moment. I uh, spent some time earlier this week with a group of clergy who meet regularly uh, to uh, for fellowship and to also prepare for the scripture passage for the sermon that's to come. And also there's a fair amount of sharing of war stories and shop talk and things like that. The uh, tone of the conversation was a bit surly uh, and a bit cynical. Um, now, I'm not uh, picking on clergy. I have a feeling that coming out of the pandemic, you would hear similar tone of voice in faculty lounges and at nurses' stations, especially at night when the doctors and the family members have departed for the evening. But anyway, the theme of the conversation with my clergy colleagues was, and they admitted that this is a recurring theme, is this. Churches are out of money. Churches are out of people. Churches are out of energy. And churches are out of ideas. Clergy especially are out of ideas. Sorry. <laughs> the, day I'm, the day I'm being installed, I, you know, I gotta break it to you. We're all out of ideas. <laughs> Pastor Nikki says, speak for yourself. Okay. Um, you know, organized religion is uh, facing tough sledding these days. Uh, not least of which because people within organized religion keep, uh, well, we can't get out of our own way. Uh, I opened the Apple News app on my phone yesterday and I saw this headline. A Christian health nonprofit saddled thousands with debt as it built a family empire and incorporated a pot farm, a bank, and an airline. Great. <laughs> Good job, everybody. It's tough times for churches. And if someone were to come along and offer us a way to turn pews into people, or turn pews into pledging units, wouldn't we jump at that offer? If someone promised us some way that we could disperse all of the bad news about organized religion with something new and exciting and dramatic, wouldn't we take them up on that offer? If we had the political muscle to reinstate the blue laws, so that we were the only game in town on Sunday morning. How many of us would uh, flex those muscles in that way? I don't think I closed everything uh, on Sunday. I, I would shut down soccer matches and crew regattas. That's, but I, I, I might want to see a movie on Sunday afternoon, so I let the movie theaters stay open. That's what we need. The political power and clout that previous generations had, right? That's what we need. We need money, we need fame, we need power. That's what we need, right? Or maybe we need something different. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, since we're out of ideas as clergy, we do a lot of uh, blaming amongst ourselves. And maybe, maybe lay people do, blame, uh, do some blaming as well. Maybe all of this is because of COVID. Maybe all of this is because of secularization in our society. Maybe all of this is because the church is... Uh, too slow to adapt to rapidly changing culture, or maybe the church is all too willing to accommodate a rapidly changing culture. 
Maybe it's something entirely different. Maybe we find ourselves in a time and a place of wilderness because God has led us into this time and place to find out what we're made of and to find out where our loyalties really lie. If that's the case, then maybe what we need more than money, fame, or power is to rediscover our hunger and thirst for the Word of God and for the life-sustaining power of God's Holy Spirit. Maybe now is the time to put our trust in God to provide. Maybe what we need most at this moment is for the Lord to put a new and right spirit within us, a spirit that is content with humble service, a spirit that doesn't seek to rule over or lord it over others, or command the airwaves and the adulation of the culture. Wildernesses are harsh and unforgiving places, and the time and place that we're passing through is harsh and unforgiving. It's also a place that holds many valuable lessons for the people of God if we're willing to learn those lessons. We're in a crisis right now. Don't waste a crisis. Don't waste this opportunity to be sated with God's word and God's life-giving spirit. Don't waste this opportunity to put your trust in God anew. And don't waste this opportunity to bear the cross, that act of humble service that God is calling us to bear. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.